Amen. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Glad everybody is here tonight. House of Lord, Wednesday night. Ready to get into this study tonight. We are wrapping up the book of Galatians. We've been uh, we've dug into it and went line by line over the last several weeks, and tonight we've made it to the last part of chapter six. Some of you may be celebrating, like man, I, but hopefully you're uh, excited to to kind of finish this, and there's something that you've gained from it. Hopefully you've come to understand what uh, the apostle Paul wanted us as the church to know that uh, we are justified by faith and faith alone. Amen. We don't have to add any sort of extra rules. There's no regulations. There's nothing that we can do within our flesh to make things right. And tonight, as we dig into these last uh, section of chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, that's what he's doing. He's sort of crystallizing this, uh, this section. What I mean by that, if you're not familiar with that term, it, this is sort of his epilogue. You read a book and it's kind of come to an end, so now he's just kind of one more time going to sum up the, the main message he needed the, the Galatian church uh, to understand. So some of this may sound somewhat familiar, and it's for good reason. It's because Paul is going back and just one last time reassuring the people what it is they need to know. What is this message is that we are justified by faith and we're saved through the cross. And so that's uh, the big picture that we're going to dig into and look at tonight. So if you have your Bibles, if you're not with me already, you can go to Galatians 6. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18 tonight. So let's go ahead and, and, and sort of jump into it if that's okay. Verse 11 starts this. This is kind of how he begins the epilogue. And it, it's kind of just an interesting take. He says, See with what large letters... I have written to you with my own hand. So as he's getting ready to, to summarize and end this particular book, it's kind of unique that he's sitting here saying, look at how big I'm writing letters. Now that kind of sounds weird, right? Like, Paul, what are you, what are you talking about? It's okay, you know, when you first read that. But you may remember, if you've been with, with us for the last several weeks, uh, you remember there was, a, there was a part, of I know in chapter 2, when we were dealing with chapter 2, there's a lot of the scholars say that on the original uh, manuscripts, that when he was getting really upset and writing about that stuff that he was talking about with Peter, that conflict, and when he was really trying to hammer home this, this fact that you guys need to get off of this religion stuff and you need to get into the, the grace stuff, that it was really dark. It was like as if the writing, the pen he was using, he was sort of bearing down hard. Anybody remember us talking about that? And we sort of said it's like when you, you ever had to write something when you were angry? I know today we type angry, we don't write, but I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when you had to write notes to people instead of type notes, and if you really were writing the note, and you really wanted to get it, you just, the emotions and the anger, you just got so mad that you were bearing down, almost breaking the pencil or the pen, anybody remember that? All right. Well, here's an interesting part where it's kind of in the same way. He's talking about how big he's writing these letters. Now listen, just, this is just background knowledge. We're going to get into the meat of it in just a moment. But just background knowledge, think about this. Paul didn't necessarily handwrite everything that he wrote in the Bible. Does everybody understand by that? In other words, what we don't talk about a lot is Paul is the author of most of the New Testament. But a lot of the things that, that are, were authored by Paul weren't handwritten by Paul. He had people in his life that he could just come and he could dictate or he could talk to, and as the Lord was speaking to him, and they were, he would have them writing down the letters. Does that make sense? So a lot of the things that Paul did actually weren't handwritten, but this particular, depending on the scholar you read and, and where you want to lie, we're not sure if he wrote the entire letter, but we know that this part right here Paul isn't just dictating what it is he wants written down. Does everybody understand? He's taking the pen himself and saying, I, I'm, I, this is so important to me that I'm the one who's saying these words. Everybody with me? If you are, say yeah. I know you may think this is minutia, but I think it's important for us to understand the context here. He's saying, this. he's grabbed the pen. He's the one writing. This is so important that he wants to make sure that he is the one putting it on paper. This isn't someone else that may take his words in a different manner. This is him writing it and saying, I'm the one writing it. You can tell. Look how big I'm writing. Some people say then, just uh, this could be an allusion to earlier in the chapter. Remember, there was a part earlier in Galatians, or in the book, when he's talking to him, he says, I know y'all love me, y'all would, if I, if I needed to, y'all would pluck your eyes out and give it to me. So there's some scholars that think this is alluding to the fact he's having the right big because he can't see. He's getting older, maybe his eyesight's going. You know, we've, we've, we've been there, some of us have been there. You know, you have to get the large print Bible, or you have to zoom in a little bit more on your phone. Y'all, that's okay, you don't have to amen, I won't call anybody out. But sometimes you get to that point, you have to be able to read a little bit better. Maybe Paul's getting to that 
that point. But this first verse, he's sort of establishing this, that he is the one who has written this letter entirely by hand and by himself. Even though other epistles that we could get into were, were dictated, this isn't something that he's dictating. This is something he's grabbing the pen himself. So he, he establishes that here, and now we're going to get again into the, the epilogue, the important thing he's wanting to leave them in, with in verses 12 and 13. Let's look at it together. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh." So let's break down again this message that has come up over and over again. But one more time, he's framing it and he's putting it out there for them. Understand this big debate, these Judaizers who have come into the Galatian church, these people who have tried to, to sort of distort Christianity that said Jesus Christ died and rose again and faith in that resurrection gives you salvation. These Judaizers decided, you know what, that's a lot to, to ask. I'm just going to say, why don't we go back to the old way and as long as you don't eat shrimp and you follow the law, and as long as you do these things, that can be enough. And, and Paul is saying, no, that's not right. And so he's breaking down the reason. Understand the reason behind them. They're sort of painting the picture that by obeying the old law, we're more holy than you are. But again, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that anyone, anybody could be circumcised. Anybody could go through that process, not to be crass, but any of them, it, it didn't take a not lot of talent or skill. It didn't take, I mean, it was some pain, but, but other than that, anybody could do it. Does it make sense? And after it was done, who's to say they're still going to live by the law and abide by what they're claiming to abide by? Does this make sense? If I could create, and this is what he's going to get, we're going to get into, anybody can create a rule that if I follow this rule, I'm okay. But just because you follow that rule doesn't mean you're holy and you're right with God. Is this okay? Anyone could be circumcised and follow the rituals of Judaism, but they may not be any different or changed. Weak Christians wanted to go back to that so they could escape persecution and more easily conform to the requirements. It's a fact of life. If you want to really get, it, get me on the soapbox, I won't get on the soapbox tonight. We're here to teach the Bible. But if you really want to look at what's going on in our society today, one of the negatives that we see in society today is that we have gotten to the point where nobody wants to do what it takes to meet a standard anymore. And so if we can't reach a standard, we want to move the goalposts. We want to lower the standard so that everybody can feel like they're accomplished. Does this make sense? It's the whole idea that you get on again. I'm, I'm trying not to wax poetic, but the whole everybody gets a participation trophy type of mindset. Does that make sense? It's no longer about me, me needing to be, you know, good enough or me earning a right or earning a skill or getting to a point where something is a true accomplishment. We want to lower the requirements for the accomplishment so more people can achieve it and thus we all feel better. Well, guess what? The people in the Galatian church, these Jews, that's really what they were doing. They said, you know what, Jesus is requiring us to lay down our lives for him. We're gonna, if we say that we believe this man died and he rose from the dead and that's what we have to go around and preach, then what are people are going to say bad things about me? People are going to look at me like I'm weird. And let's be honest, we know the end of the story. All of his disciples and the ones that were part of that early church, what did they end up having to do? They literally had to give their lives. They were killed. And so there's this portion of the church that says, it's just not that serious to us. We feel like we'll just, we, we, we believe in Jesus and everything and we're glad he came, but I would just rather go back and follow the old rules if it means that everybody will love me and accept me. Is this making sense? And oh, how even today that if you're not careful, you can find yourself mixed up in a theology and mixed up with a group of believers that will simply try to say, don't have these beliefs that make you separate. Don't do these things that make you look weird. You can be accepted. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can have all the favor and the love of God and still be loved by everybody in the world and do all the things you want to do. You're basically in the same boat of these people that are just simply trying to escape the persecution. And so that's what Paul's warning of. He gives three warnings here I want to look at in these 
two verses. Let's break them down. The three things that, that from reading this that I find. Paul is telling us to beware of teachers who are trying to make a show of religion. Hear me and hear me well. I grew up in this spirit-filled church that, that, that I'm a part of right now. I, uh, you know, our denomination and our movement and our teachings, we believe that, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the gifts didn't cease. They're still for us today. Amen? I believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and moving here on earth. I believe He operates in the life of the believer. I believe that He infills us and baptizes us and gives us power. Amen? I believe the Spirit is still on earth doing miracles and doing wonders and people are being delivered and people are being healed. Amen? I get excited talking about it. But I need you to understand something. Since I've grown up and seen certain sects within our movements have taken the power of God and have basically tried to make it a a stage to build kingdoms. Is this making sense? We've taken the power of God instead of using it to change lives, people have used it as a platform for them to gain worldly success and power and fame. And I'm here to tell you all of that is of the devil. The, 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 the Lord didn't give, the Holy Spirit didn't give me the power to, to tread upon scorpions and on serpents so I could build my kingdom and have a name and people come after me and give me money and for me to become famous here on this earth. I know this is hard to, 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 to talk about, but I'm just, I'm just telling you. You've got to beware because Paul is saying anybody who turns what the Lord meant to be powerful, what the Lord meant to be life-changing into a show, you better beware and be careful. And I'm trying not to go too far, you know, into the weeds or, or try to stand out and start giving just opinion. But, but, but I'm, I tell you to beware. I'm not judging anybody. But I'm always wary when I start seeing people who are operating in the power of God and they're starting to put a cell phone and live streaming it right in someone's face so that they can share it around. Again, please understand where I'm coming from because this spirit of trying to make a show of what the Lord deems holy, that's serious business to me. I believe that what happens between someone and the Lord is between someone and the Lord. I believe that the Lord does incredible things, and I think that He does want us to testify and be examples and testimonies of what He does here on the earth. And you know what that testimony is? It's your life. Because if people look at you and see that you are different, that you've been changed, and that chains have broken off of you, and you've been healed, you don't have to have some preacher trying to make it a show. You can go back to them, and they'll see that you're different. Is this okay? We're ending heavy, I know. It'll be all right. It's the last one. I'm trying to get it all out. Is that all right? But I think it's, it's important for us to beware of people who make a show of religion. People who are proud, vain, and carnal. These hearts desire nothing more than to simply make a fair show in the flesh, and they can easily be content with so much religion as will help them to keep up a fair show. There are people who know how to put on the facade. You know, I say that as far as people who are, who are sort of making light of, of something that's holy. But in the same way, there are people who have certain rules and regulations and certain looks. And, and they say, well, as long as I look the part, everything's good. People will see me and they'll know. Listen, and I'm not even, I'm just as simple as this. I could share a Bible verse every day on Facebook from now until the end of eternity. And that would be good. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But just because I shared a Bible verse on Facebook every day from here on out doesn't mean anything when it comes to my soul. Man, I can wear all the religious shirts. I can even, this is where it gets serious. I could come and sit in church and be here every day the doors open. But if that's as far as it goes, all of you may think everything's okay, but it doesn't mean everything's okay. It's important to understand this isn't a show. It's not something you earn. It's going to take something. It's going to cost you something. Frequently, those who have least of the substance of religion are the ones who are most solicitous to make a show of it. In other words, those people who don't have a lot to bank on, they don't have a real relationship with God, the connection isn't there, their heart hasn't been changed, their their life and their soul isn't being sanctified and changed by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Those people know that there's not a lot of substance, so they have to rely more on the show. Does that make sense? You find people who are walking in religious spirits and they're relying on making sure we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't go here, we don't go there. Again, nothing wrong with you having your personal convictions, but if there's not true change and true relationship in your heart, guess what you're going to do? You're going to clutch onto those convictions more and more. I hope this is okay. 
Be careful of people who are aiming to make a show of religion. But let me make a, a second group here. Beware of teachers who are afraid of persecution. This is just Pastor Bradley talking. Can Pastor Bradley talk a little bit tonight? You want to know when, in my mind, in my spirit, when I start getting red flags about you know certain teachings and thoughts, is when you start talking about people and they never, ever, ever have a problem. When you get around people and they're just, it's, and if you have a problem, they tell you that you have a problem and it's, it's a bad thing, there's something wrong with your spirit. Does that make sense? Theologies that tell you, oh, you were sick today, what kind of sin did you commit? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's, that's not something I'm going to embrace. You know, something starts going wrong and they start trying to tell you, well, it must have been, you know, you didn't, you didn't say the right words, you didn't pray this, you didn't... I'm here to tell you the Bible tells us that it rains on the just and the... Now, don't get me wrong. Let me set a parameter. Y'all have heard me before. Y'all know me. A lot of you know me. So let me set a parameter. I'm also not here to tell you that we need to be all doom and gloom and every little problem we have, I need to come up here and broadcast it to you. That'll just make you, you know, depressed and down and out, right? I don't believe in that either. I don't believe we go, I believe that we be positive and all these things, but, but I'm always wary of, of preachers, of ministers who it's always about the good and they're never wanting to point at the bad. That tells me that there's something a little bit amiss. They're trying to avoid the persecution that comes when you, I'm here to tell you, if you stand for what's right, not everyone is going to like you. When you take a stand on the right side of what the Lord wants to do, it's not going to be popular with the world. So if, if the number one goal is to receive the attention and the applause and the, the, the love of this world and popularity, at some point, you're going to have to compromise what the Lord's saying to keep that up. Is this okay? Okay. Be wary when people, because that's what Paul was saying. That was what was wrong with the Judaizers here. It came. To, it really was point blank. They did not want to deal with the persecution that the people who were claiming Jesus at that time were going through. They did not want to give their lives. They didn't want to be crucified. They did. They just wanted to get along with everybody and everybody to love them. And that's a natural tendency. If we're to really be honest. I know there's some people in here that may say, "Oh, I don't care what people." And I even say, but let's be real honest. In our base core, there's nobody who doesn't want to be accepted, and there's nobody who doesn't want people to. We, it's a natural tendency. That's who we are. Is this okay? But what we come to is we have to come to a place where if it's between what the Bible says and what the Lord says is good and holy versus what the world has accepted and what's going to give me the applause and the attention and the affection of the world, I have to choose what the Bible says and what the Lord says every time and let the chips fall where they may over here. If I truly believe that the Word is the Word, and I truly believe Jesus Christ is the Savior, then He has to be the audience that I'm worried about. Does this make sense? So beware of those teachers who are afraid of persecution. And here's the third part. Beware of teachers who have a party spirit. Now again, let me make sure again that I claim. Some of you say, well, so teachers shouldn't have fun. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm not talking about teachers who... who well, I, I love to laugh, so I mean, I would disqualify myself if that's what we're talking about. Here's what I mean. We're talking about teachers who had no further zeal for the law than as it subserved their carnal and selfish designs. In other words, the only reason they wanted to follow the law had nothing to do with their love of the law. Does that make sense? They just simply wanted it to use it for their advantage. Again, there are teachers of the Word, alleged teachers of the Word, there are people who stand in the office of, of minister and pastor across this country and across this world, and I hate to say it, it's not that they're zealous about what the Word says. It's not that they're zealous about seeing people come to Christ. They're zealous about using this platform for their own personal gain. No, I'm not calling out names or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not, that's not my job. That's going to be the Lord's job. When, when I'm just telling you the spirit that's on the earth and what happens. Does this make sense? Anytime someone uses a platform that the Lord has given them for His work and His kingdom, but they're simply using it for their own personal agenda and their own 
personal gain, they have made a mockery of what the Lord has called sacred and what the Lord has called holy. I think it's very important for us to understand that this is a spirit that we need to be careful of. These, these people were desiring to have these Christians circumcised, again, that they might glory in their flesh. Again, what, did, what does it say? They're not, even those who are circumcised, they, they keep the law, but they're desiring to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, they don't care. They're not going to follow the law. They're going to do things on their own that they don't agree with. They just want to see if you, they can have dominion and power over you. Does this make sense? There are people who simply want to see, can I get you to follow me? Can I manipulate you to a point where you will do the things that I, I want you to do in my name for my benefit? And the Lord is saying, those things are not of me. Those teachers are not of me. They want to simply say they had gained them over to their side. They would made proselytes of them, of which they carried the mark in their flesh. Thus, while they pretended to promote religion, they were actually doing the exact opposite. They were trying to build again their kingdom. It was like a cult. For nothing has been more destructive to the interest of religion than men siding and party making. I'm here to tell you, when people get into the church and they simply try to build their kingdom is the word I keep using, but if you come into the church and you're not worried about us reaching the lost, here at all seasons, and I'm glad as far as I know, we're, we're on the same page. We wouldn't be where we were today if we didn't get on the same page. Amen? I believe that wholeheartedly. But... but Hear me out, as a, serve this as a warning for future reference. If it ever becomes about your authority and your power and your role within this group, then we've got a problem. Is this okay? Churches all across this nation suffer and they don't get to the point of success where they can have an impact on the kingdom. Why? Because this person needs to have everything their way and they need everybody to see things their way. And if there's anybody that disagrees, they're going to go find a group that, that will agree with them and they're going to go against this other group and drive them out. Doesn't that sound silly for a church to do and things to do in the body of Christ and in the name of the Lord? It is. So that's what he's talking about. These people who are simply only trying to build a little bit of a... so they can feel like they, they have power. And we see this in all walks of life, you know. It's no really different than we talk about parents at the ball field. You know what I mean? Uh, those parents who are trying to relive their glory days through their kids. You know, it's not really about what their kid's doing on the field. I mean, great, if little Johnny can get a hit on the baseball field, great. But man, these parents think it's like Game 7 of the World Series in a 6-year-old t-ball game. Y'all know exactly who I'm talking about. Come on, yeah, they're really just simply trying to... I read a quote that, you know, a, a quote really recently talking about football, you know. Hey, listen, this isn't... High school football is supposed to be about kids who are learning and who are developing as people. It's not supposed to be fantasy football for adults who didn't get to live out all of their fantasies, you know. It, well, guess what? The same thing can happen within the body of Christ or in the name of the body of Christ. Does this make sense? You may think I'm stretching, but there are people who, who maybe they don't feel fulfilled. There's some wounds on the inside of them with relationships and with people that have not healed. They've been hurt in this area, in this area. Maybe they haven't been able to achieve some of the dreams or some of the goals they have on the secular world, so they come into the church, and then it becomes an opportunity for them to use religion for their own gain to gain all of these things back. I'm going to get off of this in a minute. I know this is heavy. You didn't come on Wednesday to talk about it. But, but I've got to warn you, like Paul is saying, don't ever allow the kingdom of God to become that. Or guess what? It's no longer about Christ. It's about you and you, you're, you're sinning. That's okay? All right. Let's move to verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the what? Say it again. Except in the... This is important. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we have here is Paul professing his faith. Paul is just one more time saying, let me just tell you what this entire thing is all about. In these few verses that we just read, Paul has outlined his entire theology, everything that, that he believes and that he wants to move forward. 
Notice the first thing he sort of establishes here. He says there are others that are going to glory in the circumcision and in the rituals and in the great show of converts to an easy religion. But I will glory only in the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to make another statement. Maybe I shouldn't, but if you're drawing a crowd to a shallow gospel with no change, what have you gained? I know that's almost heresy. We judge everything by how many people showed up and how many people signed the cards and how many names we have on the... (laughs) But listen, anybody can convert someone to something that sounds good. If I say, hey, you just, you know, you say Jesus, you know, you pray a prayer and, and, and you go on about your way, you just keep doing what you're doing. It's all good. You'll be there at the end. You'll go to heaven. You can still have all your fun here on earth. Now listen, if I'm going to sell you that bill of goods... My goodness, we should be able to easily win the whole county, right? What's the problem? That's not the gospel. The gospel does say, whosoever comes. Who, all I have to do is believe in Him, but then once I believe in Him, there's something that begins to happen on the inside of my heart. There's a, there's a process called regeneration and sanctification that immediately begins. Immediately as I begin to draw close to the Lord, I want to turn away from those things that He's told us not to do and to stay away from and that aren't pleasing and edifying to Him. And our desires begin to slowly change and we become to seek Him and we lay those things down. Is this okay? See, that's the gospel. That's, that's the gospel. It takes some change. It takes some crucifixion fiction of our flesh. We have to put things to death. So Paul says, y'all keep glorying in all these people y'all are winning because you're winning them to something that's not salvation. I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. I'm going to boast in the fact that he died and rose again so that we could be redeemed. Those things are empty, they're worthless, and they're crucified to them by the cross. Nothing avails anything but a new creation in Christ. Again, you can wear the clothes, you can speak, you you can listen to the songs, you can have the radio station on even, you can have the church attendance records, you can go to the right place and you can hang out with with, with certain people and and look the part. But I'm here to tell you, those things aren't going to save you. Only the redemptive work of Jesus. So let's go through that. This is his profession of faith. He says that his principal glory is in what? The cross. Now let's make this clear. I'm all, y'all know me. I'm always going to make sure it's clear. I don't want anybody to hear me. This isn't some sort of idol worship of the symbol of the cross. Does everybody understand that? Some people could, uh, y'all may think I'm being funny of saying that, but you know, you never know what people are going to go out and say. Oh, he said we should worship the cross. No, no, no. Not talking about the symbol of cross. This is a metaphor. He's talking about what happened at the cross. That was where Jesus, again, went to, the, went to give His life, where His blood was shed, where He was the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be saved. That's what He's talking about. The Jews stumbled at this notion. This is why He was so adamant about talking about the cross is because this was the part that had the Jews messed up. The Jews could go with everything. They almost could, could live with everything else up until the cross. At this point, the Jews, they, just, they were really careful to say, I don't know if I believe and want to talk about all of that. The Greeks, who were so logical and so smart that Paul was able to talk to, they couldn't understand it because, again, it, it confounds the wise is what the Word says. Amen? They couldn't comprehend what this was. Many teachers of the time who embraced Christianity, they were embarrassed by the notion. They were embarrassed to say, you know what, all this stuff we've been doing all this time has been for naught. They were too embarrassed to admit that all it took was faith in Jesus and that He took care of it all. Can you kind of think about that? I mean, I try to understand that a little bit. If I've spent my whole life thinking I need to follow these rules and I've tried so hard to reach a standard and then I realize there's grace and all of that work I did didn't matter, I can maybe understand why I didn't want to let go of what I did. Think about where we are today. There's a lot of people who are blocked from coming to Christ and won't submit because they want to hold on to everything that they've done. Maybe it's not all the good they've done, but maybe it's holding on to the fact that I've been so bad. I'm here to tell you the cross and the blood is enough to wash away every sin that you've ever committed. Amen? Nobody in this room has gone too far or done too much that the Lord God of heaven will not run to you if you will come to Him. That's the gospel. 
And the Jews just did not want to understand. Their pride could not be laid down enough to say that that was what needed to be. And so they were embarrassed and they were pressured to abandon it so they wouldn't be persecuted by their Jewish brethren. Listen, I'm here to tell you, the world at some point, there's going to be a moment in your faith, if it hasn't been already, I'm telling you, there will be a moment in your faith where you're going to be challenged by some force here in this world for what you believe. There's going to come a moment where you have to be willing to look foolish for Christ. You're thinking, what do you mean? I'm not saying go off and like run around and dance and you know really look crazy. I'm just saying there's going to come a point where someone's going to look at a conviction you have, someone's going to look at a decision you make, and they're going to say, man, that's wild. I'm not, I would never get that. And that's fine. You have to be willing to accept that. Listen, when I was growing up as a kid, there were plenty of things like that. I mean, it started as simple as the fact when all of my friends were going out and getting drunk on the weekends. I said, nope, that's not for me. When all of my friends were going out and having sex on the weekends with with whoever and whatever, nope, that's not for me. I've heard Pastor Lot say it that way. What happens is when you get into those moments, people start labeling you. They'll start throwing names. Oh, you must be... No. (laughs) It isn't anything like that. It's just the Bible says that that is not the life of a Christian. And guess what? That's not the life I'm going to live. Are you willing to sacrifice popularity? When everybody else is watching things that, that are going to invite some spirits or invite and, and talk about things that are negative, are you willing to stand up and say, you know what, no, that's not what I'm going to do? When everybody's saying you need to do this or do that, that's what we're talking about. Are you willing to make the sacrifice of saying, I'm willing to be different? There may be some of you, the fact that you're sitting here at all seasons may be enough that it's different, you know? There's people who don't know about us in here that can say some weird stuff. They think that we do some crazy stuff. I mean, we are peculiar people. That's what the Bible told us to be. But, you know, there's no snakes under the stage or anything like that. Amen? But no, seriously, because we believe that what I talked about earlier, we believe the Holy Spirit didn't cease in the New Testament. He still operates today. And we believe that the Holy Spirit operates in our lives and we have power. And we believe that there's a prayer language that we can speak in. Amen? We believe that things happen. There's people who aren't ready for that. And there's people who may want to, you know, they don't understand. They may not even mean, there's people who may come at you because of that. I've had those conversations with people before. You really believe that? You're one of those? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sometimes I can talk them through it and they understand. Sometimes they still look at me crazy. But guess what? God's still good and I'm still going to move forward in what I'm called to do. Does that make sense? That's what we mean by this. That's that's what we're talking about. He's saying, listen, the glory is in the cross. Y'all can have all the rest. I'm going to glory in the cross. Paul said, not only am I not ashamed of it, but I revel in it. That's where it gets excited. I say, yeah, not only am I one of those, (laughs) I like it. I like the fact that I'm one of those. I like the fact that the whole I get happy and excited and we can move around and worship and don't have to sit down with our, you know, arms crossed and yet. I'm happy with the fact that I could call in the name of the Lord and believe that He'll talk to me and He'll move. Amen. That's what Paul said. And listen, you may think it's crazy. I believe that man died for me. Absolutely I do. And not only do I believe it, I am glad that he did. And I'm going to keep proclaiming it to the rooftops. So his principal glory was in the cross. Second part that he says right here, he was dead to the world. He was dead to the world. You know, I had a conversation this week with somebody kind of talking about these sort of things, you know, sort of his journey that he was going through. And that's sort of what he mentioned. He was coming to a place where the Lord was revealing to him that, you know what, I've, I've wanted the things of the Lord, but the problem is, is I still wanted the things of the world too. Kind of in our conversation, I was talking about the story of Lot in the Old Testament. And I'm just going to summarize it, if that's okay. You can find it in the book of Genesis. But remember, there comes a point where Abram and Lot, they're the people of God, and God's going to have this covenant with Abraham. Well, they get to this part where they have to choose. One's going to go one way, one's going to go the other way. And Abraham didn't want to fight about it, so he just said to Lot, hey, you choose which way you want to go. Lot looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And even before the bad things that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, he already knew, the reputation was already there, that that was a place of wickedness. 
That was a place where people worshipped pagan gods. That was a place where God wasn't around. Does this make sense? Or, or there, not He wasn't around, but they, the worship of God wasn't around. The fear of God wasn't around. Yet, that part of the land looked good. And so what did Lot do? That's where he chose. He said, we're going to go and we're going to camp there. So Abram went the other way, the land that didn't look so good. But even though God blessed him and Abram prospered and became a very wealthy man, Lot, on the other hand, by the time we encounter him again later on in Genesis when God has had enough of Sodom and Gomorrah and says, you know what, the wickedness is so bad that I'm going to burn it up. I'm going to send fire. I'm going to destroy it. By that time, Lot had already sort of moved close to the city gates. So what can you infer, even though it doesn't say it? Lot was still a righteous man, but he just kept creeping closer and closer and closer and closer. It ended up costing him his home because in order to be saved, he had to leave it. Not only that, but his wife had become so accustomed to that place and didn't want to leave it so much that when God said, don't turn around and look at it, she did. And she became a pillar of salt. It cost him his wife. Is this making sense? I'm here to tell you, you better be careful. God is... Salvation is a free gift, but it's going to cost you everything. Meaning he says that we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross. If you think that you can have the favor of the Lord and have everything, get in heaven and avoid uh, eternity in hell, but I can still sort of play around and prance around and get all of the, 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 the fun stuff of this world and, all, and have my flesh satisfied, and still, you're going to find yourself in danger. I mean, the Bible in several parts talks about water. It needs, it needs to be hot or cold. <laughs> in other words, be what you're going to be. But don't try to play this middle ground. He'll spit you out of your, his mouth. Does this make sense? Paul knew this, so he had to kill that aspect of the world. He had experienced the power and the virtue of it, weaning him from the world, and this was the one great reason of his glorying in the cross. The false teachers were men of a worldly temper. Their concern, again, was about their secular interest. Who is it? Do I have a following? Is everybody like me? Is everyone liking my tweets? Is everybody sharing my little snippets? That's all they were worried about. They, didn't, they accommodated their religion thereunto. The religion centered around their personal interest. But Paul, he was a man of another spirit. As the world had no kindness for him, so neither did he have any great regard to it. Isn't that a great place to be? When you get to the place where you say, man, nobody's going to like me if I do this. That's okay. I don't like anything the world has. So we got to have a mutual agreement. I'm not saying we don't like people. Let me make sure that's clear. But you know what? The world may not have a place for me if I'm following after Jesus, but I don't have the place for the world in my life. If I'm going to live the, the life that I need to be, I don't need to be worried about building a kingdom in this world. It's important. He had gotten above both the smiles and the frowns of it. He had become as indifferent to it as somebody who was dying out of it. This is the temper that all Christians should be laboring after. We should be seeking that. Every single day as we're constantly, as I said, it's a process of us being sanctified and regenerated into who God wants me to be. I want every single day that I live to become more and more Christ-like and less and less worldly. I'm here to tell you, will I ever perfect it? No, as long as I'm still flesh, there's always going to be flesh. But I believe every day I go, I can get closer and closer to God where I become less and less worried about all these fleshly desires. The best way to attain this is to converse much with the cross of Christ. I can't become more like Christ if I don't spend time with Christ. I can't become more like Christ if I don't allow His words and His teachings to come into my heart. If I don't spend time in His presence each and every day, listening to Him and allowing Him to, to, to build my soul. The higher esteem we have of Him, the meaner opinion we shall have of the world. And the more we contemplate the sufferings of our dear Redeemer met from the world, the less likely we're going to be in love with the world. So you think about that. If you say... PB, I sit here and struggle, man. There's just so much of these things. You just think about the fact that that same spirit is the one that was beating him and torturing him for something that he didn't do and didn't receive him. You'll become a little bit less inundated with that spirit. Does that make sense? Think about that. The more we get closer to Jesus, the less we're going to care about the world. Here's the third thing. 
about Paul. He didn't lay the stress of his religion on one side or the other of the contesting interest, but simply on sound Christianity. I'm going to put it to you a different way. When it comes to something that was sort of debatable, Paul wasn't in it. Does this make sense? Y'all know any, y'all ever met any of those people who just love to argue? Y'all stop pointing fingers at them. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I, listen, I, I have people in my life, and listen, God has put them in my life for good reason. I, I, I'm, I'm serious, people within my family, and it's not necessarily all bad, but, you know, there's just sometimes people want to debate. Listen, I'm, if I could be real honest, can I be real honest tonight? One of the, you know, I, I absolutely love, you know, and, and have embraced and am proud of the fact that God has called me to, to be a minister. But can I tell you one of those things about being a minister they don't really tell you about a lot and that I wish I could hide is once people figure out you're a minister, they just think they can ask you whatever. Especially when you, you know... I, uh, again, it's, it's all love. I promise it's no hate. I kind of joke around, especially when I met my wife and married into the family and started meeting in-laws, and they're starting to be, you know, hey, he's a minister. Oh, please, I'm like, you could just simply just say my name's Bradley. That's all they need to know, really. Why? Because what's going to happen? They're going to start, well, what do you think about this? And they're going to come up with the most controversial topic that they could find, something to try. Well, well, tell me about this. What do you think? And I'm sitting there, uh... They used to mess with me because every family gathering for a while, I was able to get away with it. They'd have a football game on. So I'd go sit in the corner, I'd watch football, and I would try to say nothing. Part of that's because I'm introverted. Part of it's because I knew what was coming. You start talking, they're going to start wanting to get into this. And I'm like, I just came to eat turkey and dressing and watch this football game. But anyway, I'm saying not the joke, but there's some people who they just really love and enjoy talking and debating. And even if they really don't care which side, there's some people who will argue with you just to argue with you. Does that make sense? Well, that happens a lot in Christianity. Listen, there's a lot of things out there that if I were to be real, I mean, I have a side that I'm on, but there's some things that I get asked at times that I just am honest with people. This is this side, this is this side, I kind of lend to this side, but at the end of the day, a lot of the things that people in Christianity argue about are minute. Does this make sense? Now listen, if we're going to talk about did Jesus really raise from the dead, then that's not an argument. He rose from the dead. I'm going to stand on That's a truth. Does that make sense? That's a foundational truth. Did God really create the world? Yes, that's a foundational truth. You know, our theology is based on that. If, if God couldn't do that, He's not God. Everybody with me? I'm just trying to make sure I'm clear if I sound like I'm going around. I'm not talking about foundational truth and theological truth that the Bible clearly says that everybody who claims to be a Christian should follow. But there are certain things that we at all seasons may adhere to that the church down the street may not adhere to. There's some of those things I believe we... Obviously, if I believe it, there's a Christian and scriptural basis on it. But there's some little differences that this side says and this side says. And at the end of the day... It doesn't matter. I mean, that's not going to reflect whether or not we're going to heaven or not. Does this make sense? I mean, I'll, I'll throw it out there as one we use all the time, but, you know, there's some people who like to, the, the probably the biggest debating issue is, you know, eternal security. Can you lose your salvation or not? This side says that once you're saved, you're saved forever and it's all good. This side says, well, you can step away from your salvation. Can I here to tell you, I've had that discussion more, than, than, more often than not. And if we're to really be honest, we're getting into semantics. All it takes is one time for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you stay with Him from here to eternity, you're going to be good. If you decide that your life, the Christian life isn't for you, and you walk away and you willingly go into a life of sin... Now, whether you want to call it like some of our friends do and say, well, you must have not been really saved, or whether you backslid and you're no longer saved, the end result is the same. Does that make sense? Those are, those are debates that people love to argue about that I'm like, Paul, I'm not interested in. At the end of the day, I'm worried about, are you saved right now and are you living right right now? Does this make sense? That's, just, that's PB and where he stands, if you ever wanted to know. I believe a lot of those things are semantics and there's a lot of things people argue about. Listen, Paul was getting to that point. He said, there's some of y'all who think this and some of y'all who think that, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, that part doesn't matter. Christians need to take care to lay the stress of their religion where God has laid it, namely on those things which are available to our acceptance with Him. 
So we see the apostle did, and it's our wisdom and interest to follow his example. He having shown what was of chief consideration in religion and what he laid the greatest stress upon, namely, not a mere empty name or profession, but a sound and saving change. In other words, you're saved, and if you're saved, we should see life change happening. Make sense? Doesn't matter what form it looked like. It didn't matter if you were dipped in the water in this way or if you were sprinkled in this way. It didn't matter if these words were said or that word that said. If you have given your life to Jesus and He's doing a work in your life, then you are saved. We can agree on those things. Real Christians are such as walk by rule. Not a rule of their own devising, but what which God Himself had prescribed to them. Even those who walk according to this rule stand in need of the mercy of God. But listen, all who sincerely endeavor to walk according to this rule may be assured that peace and mercy will be upon them. It's the best way to have peace with God, ourselves and others. Hereupon, as we may be sure of the favor of God now, so we may be sure that we'll find mercy with Him hereafter. At the end of the day, there's just going to be some things that I'm never going to know and have full assurance of here on this earth when it comes to the truth of everything about God. His ways are far above and beyond mine. Does that make sense? Does it mean that I should stop studying it? No, I need to keep studying and gain as much knowledge and revelation as I can. But it will be impossible for me to know it all by the time I leave this earth. What I need to rely on is the grace of Jesus that He's going to reveal what I need to have Him reveal to me as I need it and as I'm walking through this earth. Does this all make sense? Let's not major in the minors. Let's look at what the Lord says and let's focus in on what the Lord says. Here's a final thing that Paul said as far as his profession of faith. He had cheerfully suffered persecution for the sake of Christ and for Christianity. Not only did he suffer the persecution, but notice as he went through the persecution, he wasn't moaning and groaning about it. Kind of what I started from from the minute. Listen, be weary of those people who seem like they claim like there's never a problem or never anything wrong. But also be wary of those people who everything is a problem and everything is wrong. Paul suffered persecution, but he didn't go around saying, Oh God, why me? He may have had moments where he thought that, but he didn't go around all the time talking like that. It says that he cheerfully accepted persecution. If I'm going to be persecuted for the sake of Christ, I need to accept it as that, man, I have been counted worthy to receive the treatment that Jesus did. It's easy. I probably have said it a lot. You've probably heard me say it a lot. But if Jesus had to endure hardships and Jesus had to endure people spitting on Him and mocking Him and talking, how dare we think we're better than Jesus? Why should we expect any different treatment? There's going to come a point where we may not have to endure a crucifixion, but we're going to have to endure a spiritual journey where we allow parts of ourselves to die so that His Spirit can rise up in our hearts and in our souls. Is this okay? It may be justly presumed that men are fully persuaded of those truths in the defense of that which they're willing to suffer. If you're willing to suffer for it, then it means that you find it worthy. Does it make sense? It's, it's as simple as that. If you say you love Jesus, and you say that He's the Lord of your life, and you proclaim that you're going to give your life to Him, that's good. It's important. That's, a, that's the first step. We have to verbalize it. We have to proclaim it. But again, it can't stop with just what you say. If you really mean it, then guess what's going to come after it? Actions. Does this make sense? I'm not saved by actions, but the actions are going to be the evidence of what I said. Does this make sense? I look at it no different than my wife. I could, I, I've used this before. I, I can go to my wife and tell her, Honey, I love you. I love you. You're so great. I appreciate all you do. And those are important things. I need to proclaim that to my wife. But then if I turn around and, you know, immediately after it, start complaining about the fact that the dishes aren't done, and I start, you know, yelling about this and, and, and calling names or using abusive things here, then what I just said was negated by what I did. Does that make sense? The things that you truly believe in, your, 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 your actions will back it up. I say this all the time, counseling and working with people. Listen, you want to know, you want to know what really is important to you? Well, one, just look at your bank account each month and see where you're putting your money. That's important. 
Also, look at where your time is going. What do you spend your time doing? I know it sounds harsh, but I believe it. You know, if it's important to you, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. I hear people say that all the time. And I would have done that. I just wasn't able. I wish I could do that. And it's okay. I know. I I understand there are things that I'm not able to do that I would love to do. But to be honest, the things that are important to me and valuable, I find a way to do them. It's called prioritizing. Is this okay? I know it's just practical teaching. It's the same thing when it comes to to, to the Word of God and what Paul is, is writing and he's saying here, listen... If it's important to you, if the, if the faith is important, there's not going to be any way that the world can scare you out of that faith. If, if you believe that Jesus died and you're so passionate about His message as you claim it is, you'll be willing to give your life for this message. Amen? If, if this is important to you, if this life with Christ is important to you, then guess what? You'll find a way to grow and you'll find a way for the Lord to, 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 to get into the house of the Lord. You'll find time for Bible study and time for His presence. So let's move to the last verse then. Verse 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So Paul ends it with a very common benediction. What is he saying? He's praying that they might enjoy the favor of Christ, both in its special effects and its sensible evidences. In other words, you know, let the grace of our Lord be with your spirit. You're going to need grace. We all need grace. I know grace has been misused and stretched in here, but don't ever let anybody tell you that grace isn't important. None of us would be here, none of us would be saved or forgiven without grace. Amen? We've got to have grace. It was going to be needful to guide them in their way, to strengthen them in their work, to establish them in their Christian course. And it was also to encourage and comfort them under the trials of life and the prospect of death itself. Listen, we're going to find hardships. As I said on this earth, things are going to get hard. Things are going to get difficult. We may feel like we've been isolated and left alone. We may worry because of the sake of Christ if we've lost something back uh, before in our life that we may mourn. But I'm here to tell you the grace of God will comfort and encourage you and say, it's okay. I have better things in store if you will stay with with me. This is fitly called the grace of our Lord Jesus as He is both the sole purchaser and the dispenser of it. The grace only comes from Him. He bought it on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And because of that, He's able to give it to us. These churches had done enough to forfeit it, it seems, by suffering themselves to be drawn into an opinion and practice dishonorable things. It was dangerous to them, but out of his great concern and knowing what importance it was to them, he earnestly desires it on their behalf. Isn't that the beauty of it? Paul knew that they had done wrong. Paul knew that these false doctrines that they had, Paul knew who they were listening to, but he didn't stop him and say, listen, there's still a grace for you. Amen? Can I say that again here to you? I don't know where you've been. You may have found yourself in a moment where you've sort of you know, can admit, even the Holy Spirit may have been, as we've been talking tonight, started convicting and bringing up times where I was more focused on me and I was more focused on this and and my mind needs to be more focused about Jesus and what He wants for you. I'm here to tell you, there's a grace for you. Amen? God isn't through with you. He just simply says, okay, let's recalibrate, let's reset, and let's get moving. Is that good? I'm thankful because I don't know about you, but even as a minister of the gospel, I need recalibration from time to time. The Lord gets on me and says, you need to stop this and you need to move here. I'm thankful that He doesn't throw the, throw the clay away as the old cliche would go just because there was a little bit of a crack. He decides to put me back on the potter's wheel and to fix me and to mold me and to make me. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad? Notice it says that it might be with their spirit so they can continually experience the influences of it upon their soul, disposing and enabling them to act with sincerity and uprightness. We need a desire not to make us happy, but that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ makes Him happy. The apostle is praying and begging for these Christians, and it shows us that we are chiefly concerned to obtain both for them and for our encouragement. We need to add and seek His grace. And when we see these people who are operating in these false spirits and operating in these attitudes that are not of God, it's not for us to begin to tear down and to criticize and to mock and try to make sure we're better than them. It's important for us to pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will convict them in the same way and bring them to the point where He can use them for His kingdom. Amen? Stand with me tonight.
I want to ask if you'll one more time as we go through this in this series to bow your heads with me, close your eyes for just a moment. Allow Holy Spirit to begin speaking to you. I know some of this was kind of heavy. Some of this was different. Not a lot of it got you excited and ready to run around the church. I understand all that. But I think it's important for us to make sure that our mind is clear and focused on the journey that's ahead of us. I'm not just saying this to try to make you feel good. I believe it wholeheartedly. If you're here and you're breathing and you're sitting in this room, then God has a destiny for you. And His destiny is not just so you to have a happy life. His destiny is for you to be a part of His kingdom and for you to fulfill your role in the body. His destiny for you is to make a difference in your family, in your community, to make a difference in all seasons. And what the enemy would want you to do is to get so caught up in the other things of the world, to get you so caught up in the duties and the mundane. And it, is, it, it isn't even always bad selfish desires. Sometimes it's just life and we get in the mode of, of doing what we do here in life. What I would pray is that you allow the Holy Spirit in this moment as we have a time of prayer together to begin to convict your heart. I don't know what the area is, but Holy Spirit knows. And I believe as we're spending this time with prayer, He'll begin to speak to you. Holy Spirit will begin to reveal some areas in your life, maybe some things that you've allowed to consume too much of your energy and too much of your thought. Maybe maybe you've allowed some worldly desires that, again, may not even be sinful, but just because they've been things of the world that the Lord wants to remind you today that those things aren't where your energy needs to be. Maybe you've looked at the church and the kingdom of God less as a vehicle for His kingdom to expand and maybe you've allowed yourself to look at it more as an avenue for me to connect and build my social circle or to build my influence circle. Maybe you're just here tonight. I feel this Holy Spirit saying this. and Maybe you're here tonight and I mean, you know that you know that Jesus Christ is the way. You know Jesus Christ is the path to heaven. He's the way to salvation. You know that you need to allow Him to become the Lord of your life. But maybe, just maybe, you you, you come to church and you've gotten close to it, and you 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 want to you want to go to heaven. You want to be a part of the club, but you've or part of the kingdom, but you're you're not ready to lay something down. There's those things you're holding on to that. Just as those Jewish Judaizers wanted to hold on to the law because it was easy, there's something that the enemy has you convinced. They'll want you to give this up. You never want to do that. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe tonight is the moment where you lay those things down at the foot of the cross tonight. Whatever it is, as we're praying, I just pray that you open your mouth, that you lift your hands to heaven and you allow the Lord, to be the Lord of your life tonight. Father, I thank You so much for who You are. I thank You for Your many blessings. I thank You for allowing us to come together. We thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You for the cross. We glory in the cross today. Father, Your your redemptive work. Jesus, going to the cross, God, You sent Your Son. He bled. He died. He was a perfect sacrifice. Father, we didn't deserve it, but He was willing to endure that just so we could have a relationship with You. Father, we can never thank You enough. There's not enough time that we will have on this earth before eternity to fully express our gratitude for what You've done. Father, tonight, I just pray that You meet with Your people. Father, there may be someone here that's listening to the sound of my voice tonight that, Father, they know they've, they've felt Your conviction on their heart. Father, they know the path towards salvation. But Father, the enemy has them distracted. The enemy has them convinced. Father, the enemy has them fearful of of what they may lose or what they may have to let go of of this world. But Father, today, Holy Spirit, I pray that You convict and You draw them to the point where they're willing to surrender all for You and Your glory. Father, if there be anyone here, God, that has allowed the enemy to deceive, and Father, they've allowed them to use the kingdom and kingdom work to sort of build a personal kingdom. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, You convict. And as You convict, I pray that Your grace, Father, will engulf them. And they'll leave this place not condemned, but Father, they'll leave this place forgiven, knowing that You have loved them and You still have a work for them to do. Father, I pray that all of us 
will leave this place tonight with a zeal, with a fervor to live our lives for you. Father, to proclaim everywhere we go to everyone we can that we serve a risen Savior. Father, let us walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let signs and wonders follow us as we go about this earth. Let us be demonstrations and examples of your power here on the earth so that others will see and they'll know that you, Jesus, are risen and alive and you are the Savior that they need. I thank you and praise you for all you've done in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. You guys go give the devil fits. We'll see you Sunday.